My name is uh, Charlie Vidito. I am a dentist, and I'm also the International Missions Director here at Southeast Christian Church. Our topic today is sustainable health care ministry. I grew up in Louisville, and I started going to church here about 20 years ago. And I was always active in the missions department here, doing short-term trips. And uh, about four years ago, up to four years ago, my practice was about a mile down the road. And uh, God, I'm in church one day, and he says, uh, just as clear as a bell, it's okay to sell your dental practice. And that's what I love about God. He is so tender. <laughs> he didn't say sell it. He didn't say if you want to. He said it's okay. He li- it was like a release. So I said, cool. So I walk out of uh, church and my wife was beside me and I said, Sherry, uh, the Lord told me something very profound. And when I shared that with her, she said, are you sure that's what he said? <laughs> She's still saying, are you sure that's what he said? But um, so it's a pleasure to be with you guys today. Uh, let's let's pray. Father, we give thanks um, that victory is ours. That as we heard from Kristen uh, last night, that you're the you do the work. Our real work is prayer, and the things we see is the fruit of our prayer. And so make us prayer warriors. Make us people that are dependent on your Holy Spirit. Help us to be rather than do. And uh, I love the illustration of the that we just saw about the iceberg and how 10% is what we do, 90% is who we are. And that is so true. And Father, in this busy, hectic world we live in in America, we can get that turned upside down. So help us... Um, to be more disciplined followers of Christ. That you called us to be holy because you are holy. So this topic today, Lord, we desire to hear from you what you have to say. You've given us all all many skills and gifts, and we want to leverage those skills and gifts for the kingdom and for your glory. So will you just uh, minister to us today? Fill this room with your Holy Spirit. Give us revelation and vision from the Holy Spirit that way we may... Bear fruit, great fruit, fruit that lasts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to go mission mode just a little bit about some statistics. Uh, 1.2. 1.2% of mission funding is in the 1040 window. It's kind of off a little bit, isn't it? Our workers in the mission field are... um, 3% of the workers are working with Buddhists. Ten percent are working in tribal areas. Two percent are working in Hindu areas. 
4% are working among the non-religious or maybe animist. 6% are among Muslims. Seventy-four percent of the workers are working where there's access to the gospel. Did you guys see the map downstairs? Where where's the most of the pegs when you look at it? Did you notice? Where are they? Haiti and Kenya. Kenya is 40% evangelical. And, and we've been pouring resources into Haiti and look at the fruit of our efforts. Seriously. How many of you guys go to Haiti? How many send teams to Haiti? Okay, not that many. Um, people want us in our church to go to Haiti because the need is so great. And I'll... I'll um, I'll state that the last thing Haiti needs is another short-term mission trip. Missions nowadays is everywhere to everywhere, and we need to engage the global church. And the best folks to minister in Haiti are not Americans. How do we deal with poverty? We have a tough time with it, don't we? Because it brings a lot of guilt on us, does it not? How can we sit here in this room and have so much and not share that with those that are in need? So when I say missions is everywhere to everywhere, I mean the best folks to go to Haiti are East Africans. The best folks to help put them in Haiti are Americans because we have tons of resources. And uh, that is a, a really good strategy. You know, God is a very strategic God. Just look at where he put the nation of Israel. It's a very strategic place. So he's very strategic and it's important, those are us that, that are stakeholders in missions need to think very strategically. Now, we have this short-term mission phenomenon, right? Do you know how many people went on short-term mission trip in 1965? Who said that? 540? They said it this morning. Oh, they did? Yeah. Oh. I thought I had the scoop. <laughs> Who said this, really? I want to know that guy's name or girl's Jeff, name. Uh, from Jeff. Oh, Jeff, he's a dentist. No wonder. Yeah. We know everything. <laughs> that is so funny. You know, I was trout fishing with that guy in August, and he must have picked my brain. I didn't know it. Okay, 2007, how much did he say? Uh, he said one and a half million in 2010. Okay, all right. Well, he's a little off, so that's close, that's close enough, though. How much money was spent on short-term missions? 2.3 billion. That's with a B. That's a lot of resources. 2.1% of people have been on mission trips in churches, church members, average church, 2.1%. Uh, 3.6% of, teen, of teens have been on mission trips. 
And we heard from, it wasn't uh, Tim Elmore awesome? That was some rich stuff. And um, so we're sending 3.6% of our adolescents on mission trips. So I'm going to say, I'm going to contend that medical mission trips uh, need to be done differently and at different places. Now, um, that being said, let me share with you guys a little bit about what uh, people that host Americans say about us. I'm just going to quote what they say. Uh, Americans have a real sense of ownership in missions. They're passionate about missions. They're, cur- they're courageous. They're willing to invest time and money and resources. America's commitment to mission is very strong all over the world, has been for a long time. That's recognized by people that host us. But when you get to know them and they feel free to tell you, here's what else they add. The American church is ready to do much and sees others as having so much need but doesn't see her own need. Uh, I'm going to throw a friend of mine under the bus. He was a mayoral mayoral candidate for uh, Louisville. Republicans don't get elected mayor of Louisville, period, end of story. But he, he, he was ahead by six points just in a couple of days in the election. He lost. but So we're showing him a way to – because he has a heart for the inner city and urban areas. And we have uh, those areas in the, U, in the U.S. And he <clears> – we took him to a place to see how you enter a community. And the speaker said, you know, you have something to offer us, which is resources, finances, expertise, knowledge. But we have something to offer you as you come and serve alongside us. So I was talking to him later. He go, I said, is this registering with you, all this teaching about how you transform communities and things like that? He goes, yeah, I get all this. This is great, but what do they have to offer us? What do they have to offer us? And he was serious. And that shows, I think, a little bit of our lack of humility that we have. Let me share what else they said. Uh, the Lord is looking at the need inside her bride, and he is wa- he's waiting at the door. Remember Revelations 3, 3.20, here I, I stand at the door and knock, and he's talking to the church. It is time the American church realizes the need and opens the door, that we have needs in our own church. And it's not necessarily physical needs. It's, it's social needs, it's spiritual needs, it's emotional needs. And we heard a lot about that uh, today from Tim Elmore. There are things, their things, their objects have a blinding effect and, and create a barrier between them and the Lord. It is important for the church to not only build the individual, but also to, to build a corporate life of the community. Americans come with a mindset that they're going to achieve something. People are needy, and we, have a, and we have what it takes to solve their problems. That's our attitude. We have the solution, and we must fix it. 
Let me read from uh, 1 Peter 5. 5. And, and it talks about... Um, this aspect of 1 Peter 5.5. 5. In the same way, you, all, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the, your elders. Joshua, submit to Moses. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under, the, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So when we look at our challenges, the American church, we, we need to slow down. God is fully aware of the poverty. He sees it and ask him what his agenda is to fix it. Instead of rushing in and, and solving problems for people all around the world. So our challenges are uh, distribution, right? We got, I mentioned that, the distribution of where our resources are going. Our, other, our next problem is uh, short-term missions, the dollars that are spent, the fact that they create dependency. I forgot how to spell dependency. And what I, I read from First Peter about humility. You know, um, when I say missions is everywhere to everywhere, I mean what I mean by that is there's expertise in East Africa. The folks can teach us how to enter a community, how to deal with poverty. Matter of fact, in our church this past couple of years, we've had a vision to be a praying church. God gave us this vision because, quite frankly, in prayer, we just weren't that good at it. We didn't have a commitment to it. We didn't spend time in it. We could have brought any teacher in the entire world, any pastor would have gladly come to Southeast Christian Church and talked to us about prayer. But you know who came? A pastor in a remote area of Kenya came to speak to our church about how to be a praying church. He came in our service, and he's teaching about 4,000 people on prayer, and he says, the Holy Spirit has shared with me that there's people in here that feel surrounded by the enemy. You have no place to go. That's what it feels like to you right now. If that's you, I want you to stand up. I thought to myself, Simon, ain't nobody going to stand up. We don't, we don't do that here. Come on. Well, I looked up, and there's about 300 people standing up. Now, what a shame. A guy all the way from Kenya has to come to our church to expose the people sitting right next to us in the pews that are struggling. We didn't know. But see, that's the power that God uses. And if we'll humble ourselves to listen to what our brothers and sisters have to say around the world, We'll, we'll grow deeply and we'll have richer relationships because of it. Okay, enough of that being said. Let's talk about sustainable health care model. Now, I'm a dentist and I traveled and I did short-term mission trips and I took out teeth until a 
couldn't work for three months because of tendonitis. Has anybody been there? We used to have contests. Who can pull the most teeth? And the winner got tendonitis for six months. I mean, isn't that so typical? But there's ways that we can introduce to start to change how we do medical short-term missions. And, and I want to go through those. And I want to talk about how we traditionally do medical missions and how we can do sustainable missions. And short-term trips can play a very key role in implementing this. So, so let's talk about uh, the, two, the two categories. We'll talk about sustainable uh, short-term uh, short missions trips. And we say, we'll talk about traditional short-term missions. And sustainable, our focus is training, 100%. Traditional short-term trip is teaching, right? I mean, not teaching, but uh, doing. And I take these guys that are just gung-ho and they're ready to take out teeth, and we take them on a training trip, and they take out two teeth, and they just can't hardly stand it. I didn't do anything, they say. But in, in dentistry, we started this about eight years ago, and we started going and training and equipping. Now, medicine is slowly catching on, but they're not quite there there. So you guys in the medical field, you need to catch up with us because we're about eight years ahead of you because there's skills that you can pass on that you need to pass on. We did a trip to Uganda where we, um, we trained eight guys how to do dentistry, and there was a team from California that did a traditional medical mission trips. And the Uganda's response was like, we had like neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons taking blood pressures and, and, and handing out pills. And then you had the dentist just teaching these guys how to do it. And it was quite a contrast. And the Ugandans were very grateful and they saw the difference. So... Uh, so this is our approach to train and, uh, and do. So here's what happens. The healthcare workers that are already working in that community, sustainable model actually generates referrals. What we're doing in medicine is we're teaching pastors how to do vital signs. I'll give you one quick story. Pastor in India. His name is Pastor Michael. Great pastor. We taught him how to do dentist, dentistry. His colleague said, you can't do dentistry. He just didn't have the hands for it. And if any little thing went wrong, he just freaked out. So maybe we can teach him how to do vital signs. So the guy I'm with, I'm visiting Michael. I say, show me how you take a blood pressure. Well, he puts the cuff on upside down. He has no idea where the brachial artery, is that it? He has no idea that he needs to find that. And he just doesn't know how. He just He's a great pastor, but he's not. A blood pressure taker either. A lady in his church says, Pastor, my next door neighbor has a daughter that's really sick. Will you come and look at her? Well, Pastor Michael has, I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. But at least he can know some, a little bit about vital signs and a little bit about some basic stuff because the team that came trained him and 10 of his friends. So he goes to the girl. She's 16 years old. There's a Hindu witch doctor 
slaughtering chickens and spreading the blood over her to, to break the fever. And he says, "What?" Are, Michael, Pastor Michael says, what are you doing? He says, well, we're trying to get the evil spirit out of her. So Michael takes her blood pressure, or temperature. Well, Michael said the temperature is 108. I don't think it was 108. Can you live with 108 temperature? I don't think so. But it was high. That's all he knew. <laughs> so he takes it. He goes, he tells the father, let's get her on my motorcycle and take her to the doctor. She's really sick and she's going to die if you don't get her to the doctor. So they load this poor sick child on the, she has typhoid fever. She's diagnosed. Because Michael had the skills to diagnose it for and help her. He didn't stand around while all the Americans did everything. He learned, and he, and he used that skill for the gospel. This is the model. Now, when we go, when we do traditional short-term mission trips, what happens? We undermine. We're offering free care and free pills and free pain pills. It undermines the healthcare workers locally. You know what, though? The first... Ten years I was doing dentistry, I was so proud of myself. Never even occurred to me I was doing dentistry for for people that um, had place to go. And, I was, and when I left, who was going to take care of that need? The other thing that this does is it it invites the church invites the church to participate in the in. Addressing the problem. A traditional trip says that, um, look, only foreigners can do this. You guys can't do this. Um, And, you know, we're the one with the expertise and the skills, and you just need to rely on us to do that. But as the church, if anybody heard Caleb this morning, the church now becomes relevant because the clinics are in the church. So when probably people have a problem, where do they go? They go to the church. This is very powerful, and especially in Hindu and Muslim communities. They go to the church to get their problem solved, and that's what the church is for. So it empowers the church. And I could go on for days the story about pastors that the attitude of the community to get at a complete 180 towards them when they saw what they could do healthcare-wise. When they saw, the chief of police says, why are you harassing that guy, that pastor? Because last month, he helped my mother who had a bad toothache and he took the tooth out and she's doing great. Why are you harassing her? Him. You see my point? Big difference. You guys know that are in healthcare. What a privilege it is to serve your patients. And what you do is you're transferring that authority that you've been given and that skill of helping somebody else, you've transferred that authority to somebody else, and now they have it. And that's a powerful thing. Now, who does that sound like? Jesus, right? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And he showed us and he empowered others. For goodness sake. He even let them drive out demons in his name. And they, these guys didn't know anything. Well, if he can trust them to drive out demons, I think we can trust them to do some other things.
Okay. Sustainable short-term missions encourages development. Short-term missions encourages relief. Okay. Earthquake hits Haiti. Nation is devastated. We got to go there. We got to help them. We got to help them with food, clothing, building. We got to help them get back on their feet. But as soon as they're on their feet, we got to get out. We got to get out of their way and let them figure this out on their own with the help of God. Let God give them the agenda. But when we keep going and doing for them and doing for them and doing for them, then they never learn to stand on their own. The same is true with us. This pastor, God just gave me this, which is really cool. If this pastor from Kenya keeps coming here every month to teach us how to pray, to teach us how to pray, what are we going to do? Well, it's happens already, actually. He's quite a celebrity, this pastor from Kenya. Because now, after he speaks, people think he's the only one that can pray for them. we got all these other pastors that can pray for these folks. No, it's got to be Simon. I'm dependent on Simon to pray for me. You see the mentality I'm talking about? And we got to break this cycle. And we have a great opportunity in medical missions. What does this do to dignity? It's bolstered. It's destroyed. Ah, that's what they need. Dignity is destroyed. God is all about dignity, big time. And we don't even know we're doing it. And um, when we go, okay, how do we grow as Christians? How do we say, wow, that's cool. I didn't know I could do that. Don't you love it when you get the chance to share your faith and you walk away? It's just like energizing. It doesn't matter what the response is, but it's just exciting and it gives you energy. And when these guys that we train in these heavily persecuted areas, they had this skill that they had no earthly idea they were going to be able to use. They walk with a completely different countenance. They walk a little straighter. They see something and they see themselves being used by God to really dramatically help somebody else. It's huge. Some of the places we train, this is the number one benefit, is that people are have a lot more confidence in who God is and who they are and what God can do through them. It's a powerful thing, and it's a great joy. And then the, the last thing I want to talk about is that um, when sustainable model ministry expands, and um, ministry is limited here. It's one week a year. Don't you hate that? It's Friday. That afternoon you got to catch a flight. What do you see? Two or three hundred people in line, right? What are they supposed to do? I was making fun of a friend of mine. He, uh, he went on a trip and he was in Ethiopia. And uh, he was just having a great time and talking about it. And he said, 
I said, what was the last day like? He goes, what do you mean? I said, when you guys had to leave, what happened? Oh, he goes, there was a riot. There was a riot right there on the site. We were scared for our lives. Because now the people are desperate. Some of them have walked a long way to get there. And now somebody's got to tell them they're not going to be treated. You can't be seen. That is not the way God would do things. And you know, guys, we cannot overlay this healthcare structure and system that we have in the U.S. We cannot overlay this in developing countries. It's just not going to be the same. It's going to look different. So um, I want to introduce you to some somebody real quick who is the missionary of the future. You know, as short-term missions has gone up, 1.5 million. When we first started in 1965, we thought, hey, this is a great way to introduce people to missions. Now they'll go to serve long-term. They'll be exposed and they'll see the need and they'll go serve long-term. But the fact of the matter is the number of long-term workers going out from the U.S. has gone down. It's had the reverse effect. Fewer people are going from here to serve long-term. In our church, I'll be honest, it's a real problem. People in our church, we've promoted short-term missions so well, they think that's missions. They think, okay, I go for a week somewhere and I've done it. That's my part. And, and uh, we, we know better than that. So, so let me introduce you to uh, a young man from Kenya. He and his wife, Pamela, served uh, in Kenya for 10 years. And God called him to West Africa, up in the north, near Tamale, which is predominantly Muslim area. And so, so his name is Francis Bukachi. Francis, you'll come up here. And you, you would share with us, from your perspective, the impact of these teams that have come to train instead of teach. No, I said that wrong. Do. Good evening. How are you? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. Uh, three weeks ago, an Empower team came to train lay dentists. Um, they did it last year and they did this year. So what we do is we envision churches in poor communities how to reach their own people. And these are Muslim community. Uh, we have experience in Islam reaching Muslims for 10 years. But the Lord has changed the way we want to do it. Instead of doing it, now we want to train the people to do it themselves. Because learning a language takes at least two years if you have a very good missionary. If you're not a very good missionary, they say it takes seven years to master a language. So we knew Somali language, we taught Somali language over a ten-year period. But when the Lord challenged us to uh, start training and, and helping people to reach their communities. We had to change the strategy. So when we came to Ghana uh, two, two years ago, two and a half years ago, our work is just to envision the pastors and the leaders in their communities. The pastor comes with four people for a training. We take them through a 10-day training, intensive. You know, They have not been in school for long. But we do deliberately, over 10 years or over 10 days, they learn around 54 lessons on how to apply holistic ministry in their community. Now, something normally changes. Most of them have said it's like a light comes in their mind. Suddenly, they can see that the Lord can use them. 
And so two weeks ago, we were in a new region. We have been working there since this year. They chose uh, four people to come. Uh, his name is William. He's a teacher in a primary school. So he comes with the lead dentistry training. And the first day they arrived, uh, normally they'll say, I don't know how I'll be able to learn this in five days and go and do it. But they did it. And yesterday morning I called back in Ghana and they told me they've already started treating their first patients in uh, a region next to Burkina Faso. And during the training, this guy, the teacher, he was so good, he became the team leader. He's a teacher in the school, but the Lord has opened now the way of ministering to his own people because their teeth problems, there's no dentist. They can't travel long distances. So, one of the things that I can share with you is when you train people, sometimes we select teachers, sometimes we select pastors, sometimes we select ladies, whoever is available who has been gone through our holistic training, he becomes a minister to their own people. And they're able to continue this ministry after the team has left. Yesterday, I think I met one of the doctors who came for the training, and I told him, your students have already begun their work. And this work will continue until the Lord comes. Because the patients are many. Last year when they trained, we trained six people, but because of uh, challenges, others, four people dropped out. But the two faithful guys, Hosea and Isaiah, they have treated almost 500 patients, extractions. And some of the situations are so bad, they travel from the capital city in the south to come to the north to remove a tooth. That's an 11-hour car ride. Because the dentists are expensive in the city, or if it's in a district, the doctor is too busy to be able to deal with a problem. He comes the tooth uh, that it has to get out that day. Others will not sleep. So we have seen this transformation. And our teams, just they are not just trained in extraction. Uh, one of the things is we teach them evangelism. My wife is a nurse and a midwife. And she's a very good evangelist. So she models evangelism. Witnessing to patients as you pray for them. Counseling them, those who are in trouble. And we have seen uh, over the last um, one year, we, that clinic, we only did two days per week, more than 2,000 patients. Every one of them has had the gospel. Every one of them. And the pastors help us as well, the days they are available, to come and do counseling. And one of the things I say, I told the doctors when they came, we are very grateful for the lay workers. Most of them say that you gave us a ministry. That we, you gave us an opportunity to reach our people in a relevant way. And they are very grateful. Their eyes have been opened. Some of them want to go back to school and learn in a better way how to minister to people. So that is some of the experiences you have had. Thank you, Francis. Yes. They might want to ask you some questions. We're going to go into some questions and answer because that's an important part of what we're, we're doing. Um, here's one of the misconceptions that we have as Americans. We see folks that are uneducated, that don't have the education we do, and we think, well, they can't, they can't do what we do. It's amazing. They have a hunger, a desire. The Holy Spirit goes to work when we do God's will His way. It's powerful. These guys are gifted surgeons. One quick story. Four of us were in India. Four dentists, American dentists, were in India uh, last in July. And we saw a patient. He was a Bruxer. So, you know, and we're taking out a second molar. And I said, this tooth's not coming out. 
I mean, you know how the bone gets all thick and dense around the second molar. So we prayed, and God said, yes, take it. So an hour and a half later, we only have the distal root out. The mesial root's still there. So I said, this guy's been through a lot already. Let's just just let this one go. So another American did a song. Now let me try it. So he tried for 30 minutes. Maybe not 30 minutes, 15 minutes. Nah, can't get it. Measy root still in there. Okay. So their team leader, Tim Williams, said, Sunil, the Indian guy, wants to try it. I said, nah, this guy's been through enough. He goes, let him try it. So Sunil gets in there to take the Measy root out. I said, it's a waste of time, Tim. He's not going to get it out. Why are we putting this patient through all this? 20 minutes later, the Measy root comes out. Sunil did it. The Indian guy. And you had four trained, now we're not all surgeons, but four trained American dentists that gave up, he didn't, and got it out. That's the type of people we're dealing with. It's amazing. Okay, questions and answers. Or questions, not answers. <laughs> Any? Yes, in the back. Sister, I'm with you. Forgive us, Father. Okay, that's a great question. You know, the key to this is the partnership. The partnership between the American church and the worker on the field. They know the laws. Like even in Francis' case, he's in Ghana. He knows Kenyan law very well in Somali, but he doesn't know Ghana. He relies on his team to say, yes, we can do this, and legally we know we can't do that. So it's the partner that has to invest the time and effort to figure out how we can make this sustainable. So they know the laws of their country. So every in Afri- they don't have the same laws. In Kenya, correct me if I'm wrong, Francis, I'm going to explain this. In Kenya, you can have a nurse responsible for a clinic that's registered with the government. Now, any person under that clinic, it can be community dental workers that are trained by a short-term team, is the responsibility of that nurse that is registered with that country. So they can be working even 500 miles away, and they're still under the authority of that nurse, and it's okay but the government. Is that fair? It's true. It's true. So you see what I'm saying? There's ways. But what happens is it's a little bit like our children. My daughter would want me to do her algebra homework for her. You hear me? She's, Dad, it's a lot easier if you'll do it for me. I know you like it, and I don't like it that much. But I had to make her do the algebra homework. I said, no, I'm not going to do it for you. And that's what we have to do with our partners sometimes. And if our partner's not willing to do that, what we do here, if you're not interested in a sustainable ministry, we don't partner anymore with you. That's what we do here at Southeast. It's hard because these are people we love and dear to us. Now, we don't say we're done. It's a phase out over a period of years. But if you're not interested in sustainable ministry and cutting off the flow of resources from the U.S., because, you know, we're funding all these projects around the world and that builds dependency, we've got to stop it. The worst place is Haiti. We've got to stop it. Just stop it. 
Now, phase down, but now you guys got to figure this out. And as long as you're there continuing to pour in those resources, you undermine the very thing that God wants to do. I'm serious. It does. You undermine it. You're stopping His work. So that's why we have... We got it. I got this thing I say. Oh, that's good, but that's not so good. No, let's not call it not so good. Let's call it bad. Let's call it what it is. It's bad. It undermines what God's trying to do. So that's kind of where I am. But yeah, it's tough work. But we have to be a student. We have to be in prayer. We have to develop a relationship with that partner. And and it's a it's a beautiful thing a lot of times. But sometimes we lose partnership too. Yes. I'll come back to you in a second. Um, it's important to train people. Like he said, uh, many times people ignore churches in poor communities or slums that they wouldn't understand. But through the training of Che, you are trained how to teach using adult teaching methods. Actually, one of the lessons we teach is how Jesus taught. Jesus used stories, questions, and those 54 lessons, that's what we do. The idea is to give them a mindset to love their people spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally, and not just preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. So those lessons, for us, I, we see ourselves as trainers and facilitators. That's basically like train, a facilitate, and follow up. Because if you don't do those three stages, they will not do it. Uh, my wife is a nurse, so she holds the, the lay workers accountable. But they, it's important, like just to answer your question, to back up one of the best days, go back to the local churches. Choose a team and train them and empower them to be able to reach their own people. And I must say, give them the knowledge, give them the skills, and give them the tools. And let them the, release them to the Holy Spirit. He will guide them. Yeah, sometimes the teeth will not come up. <laughs> Especially wisdom tooth. That's what we call. We call prayer. We pray until it comes up. <laughs> because there is nowhere else they are going to go. There is no other place. Okay. I was just going to say a little bit about Che which is an awesome model, but guess what? We got a hold of it. Americans got a hold of it. And so we, we changed it from something you read about and then you go teach somebody else to something you experience. The first part about how to go transform a community is how do you hear God's voice? So we, we actually are taking American teams to teach them this Che model in, the, in Jamaica in the first three days, the lesson's on how do you hear God's voice. And the Kenyans are teaching them. And you know what they do after two days? They're ready to pull their hair out. Seriously. I spent all this money and time to come down here to talk about how do you hear God's voice. You've got to be kidding me. That's how they are. But on day three, you know what they say? <gasps> you mean you can hear God's voice? They didn't know they couldn't hear God's voice. But that's what we, the Kenyans can teach us if we'll humble ourselves and listen. So that's the important part of it. And actually in the U.S., people want to go and learn Che in the U.S. Oh, I'm stepping on toes, so I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to learn it here. I'm going to learn it from Kenyans who've been doing it and seen it. And you can see the fruit of their efforts. You can see the fruit. So, all right, hallelujah. Um, what is the best way to provide sustainable training with the 
you know, this is a work in progress. The first four years, I didn't, I didn't even talk to anybody about this because I didn't know if it was really going to work. So I'll, we trained the first year, came back, like, whoa, these guys are doing pretty good. So there is a ton of work to do. This is just the very beginning. And so we need to spend our time and resources. Here's another important part of this. You can't go and train and not verify that it's safe and accurate and helping people. You follow what I'm saying? I can't go and do these things and say it's good. We have to have research to back up the results that we're getting. And so that's another important part of it. Um, yeah, so we, we are dealing at all different levels. The level we're talking about in here is is this basic level in remote areas. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people working on it. But for sure, right, it's not this model we have in the U.S. It's a variation of that. So I don't know if I answer your question, but just a lot of work to do there. Yes, sir. Ah, that's a great question. And really, that is the question. Really, you know, first is recognizing that. Um, who heard Daniel Atiyah today? He's talked about Islamic evangelism. You know, um, it, we're not very good at ministering to our Muslim community. Somebody told me yesterday 200,000 Muslims came to the U.S. this year. They're flooding in. And our ministry to them is not very effective and fruitful. So I think to me, it's listening to our partners, developing a relationship with them. The way we do it here at Southeast, we identify a partner. And we have seven distinctives that we look at. Um, doctrine, leadership, uh, good communications, sustainability, uh, making disciples, not just evangelism because too many times we're so focused on evangelism Jesus Film is a great example. It's a great tool, but it's not a strategy. It brought a lot of people to Christ, but what happens when a Muslim comes to Christ? If he's not somebody there to walk with him and minister to him, he goes back to Islam. And then he's not about to touch Christianity the second time. So, so we focus on making disciples. Uh, focus on the local church is another big strategy. So that's kind of what we did. And if you email me uh, here at at Southeast, we'll be glad to send you those distinctives and how we look at partnerships. And then we line up our partners. That's what we're looking for. The other big one for us is we won't work directly with Americans in the field. We want to use indigenous leadership. Um, now, we will partner with Americans in some areas, but not the bulk of our resources goes to indigenous leadership. So those are the categories that we look at. Um, and we're looking at um, the leader, how much they own that. And so a lot of partnerships we had to sever because of these distinctives. The people didn't line up with those anymore, so we phased out. That's a tough one. Yes. Charlie, in the sustainable model, whose responsibility is it to maintain the disposable inventory, like expensive anesthetic, surgical instruments? Yeah, yeah. It's the partner in the field. It's their responsibility. So to make it sustainable, they, they have to charge a small fee that allows them to invest in the anesthetic, gloves, gauze, sterilization solution, and things like that. We will uh, work with them to help donate that, the, all the elevators, forceps, all that, the chair, but then they have to, they're responsible for sustainability of that. And we won't continue to fund it. We did that a few times and it didn't work. No, 
and we, we explain that on the front end. We're going to bring you the instruments. We're going to bring you the training. We're going to give you the skills. Now, it's your responsibility to maintain that. And so sometimes when, like, we train six guys in northern Ghana to continue to do it through the local church. So we have about a 50% stick ratio where when we go back a year later, the folks that we train are actually doing it. Does it ever fail because of lack of resources? That one single resource? You know, the biggest failure has been um, the we early on we went with people and partners that wasn't their core strategy to provide health care. So they thought it was a good idea, then they implemented it, and they saw some fruit, but it really wasn't God, what God called them to do, so they phased out of it. So that's we've learned a lot, and that's how we verify. Here's what we're going to be doing. Here's how we're going to do it. Is this something that would fit the strategy that God has given you? But, no, it's not been because of resources that we had an issue. Because it's such a powerful tool for the gospel. It's unbelievable. Are the providers sustained economically with the program as well? So they can you know, every place we go, it's different. The partner does it a little bit different. I can tell you, in Daniel, northern Nigeria, they, they charge uh, $12 to take a tooth out. Because they say, if we charge $2, the Muslims will say, here they are, tricking us again. They're trying to get us to convert because they're giving us cheap dental care. So they charge 12 bucks. So they make out, they sustain their workers in, the nor- in northern Nigeria. Other places, they use it as an outreach and they offer free. I'm not so fond of that. But um, like where Francis is, they, it's like $3 they charge. Yeah, for that. So next question. Yes, ma'am. Usually they're introduced to us by somebody else. Francis will say, this, this guy's are really good. Or missionaries that we have around the world will say, this, this is a partnership that I think fits your distinctives. So then we'll do a site visit. We'll go see their work. We'll send a team of two or three people. They'll see the work. Then we'll start off with a small project. We might send a short-term team. We just kind of see how the relationship and let it kind of build naturally into what we're doing. But it's very relationship-based. Yes. It's, uh, we're a family practice, a private family practice. We're turning actually into a community health center, but that's we have a large refugee population, and that's where sort of we pick to go, and those are the relationships that are already built. Those are people already invested, and um, we're just starting out with this, but it's encouraging to hear that this is we're, – we're on the right track, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't you love that about Jesus? He was so relational, off the chart. It's an easy model for us. Let me ask her. Let me. Is there anything a question over here? Yes, ma'am. The concept that you just described. I'm thinking. I'm sitting here thinking. I don't think it's that new. Hmm. Because in the 50s and 60s, when the missionaries went to Africa, that's what they did. You know, whether it was education or healthcare. Mm. But being a healthcare professional myself, and I see the model that you're doing, my fear, because it happened in Sierra Leone, when they were having a lot of problems with maternal mortality Mm. and having problems with 
not having enough midwives to do the deliveries. They train the aides to do the deliveries. And in the long term, some of the problems that they saw was that there, some of these people did not have the knowledge to know where they, they should stop, you know, mm. the boundaries. Yes. And so we had problems. We, and that's why I always tell people as a midwife, why don't we have fistula clinics in, in this part of the world? Why do we have fistula clinics in Africa? Because of that reason. Mm. Because some of the midwives or the AIDS or the TBAs, they, do, they are not all well-rounded. So my question is, how do you use these people in their communities, which there's a need for, but also able to teach them the boundaries so mm. that we don't have the problems mm. that could happen? Yeah. I want to have – do you have a comment on that? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think one thing that you can do is to take it one step further, and this is what we've done, is give them a hunger to, to go further than what we have taught them to go. Give formal education. I know that's not available in a lot of places, but one thing that we can do by training, and, and we've done it very effectively in El Salvador, is, is once you train people, you give them a hunger to know more. That's the way I am. But the more I know, the more I want to know. And, and, and if we encourage people and facilitate them being professionals, uh, then they're taking care of their own people that are professionals. And then that boundary thing tends to go away. Yeah. I hear your point. El Salvador, some cultures are not like that. Some cultures, it's challenging. Accountability is, is challenging. So, Francis, you want to speak to that? Um, I'll give an example of the community clinic we run. My wife is a nurse and a midwife, but our strategy is we don't work in a place more than three or four years. So everything we do, we have a timeline. So some of the lay dentist workers, one of them we have identified, uh, next year should go to community training school by the government. Once he qualifies, it only takes two years. He'll come and take over the clinic run by the church. At the moment, the clinic is able to pay for all the medicine. Uh, we're able even to get the anesthetic mm-hmm. medicine from Accra. So we pay for everything. The only thing we are, cannot be able to give is give them pocket money. And uh, that is an issue. But w- once we register with the government, uh, the National Health Insurance Authority is willing to reimburse us all our costs. Mm-hmm. And that will be able to pay all the workers and train many nurses because we charge five CDs, two and a half dollars for a tooth. The government pays back 20 CDs, ten dollars. So once you reg- they register you, you recover your costs within six months, and you're able to uh, train more workers. Uh, it's a bit the, the issue she's talking about, is, if I understand correctly, is you train people, but they haven't been adequately trained to, to know their limitations. Is that what your question That's is? That's what my question is. But I think he, he commented on something, which is the desire to go and learn more. Yes, and yeah. There's always that opportunity. Because if you don't tell them that there's that opportunity, there's definitely few of those people that's going to go above their boundaries, yeah. and we're going to have deaths from simple things like infections. Or yes, like yes. And, and like both Pastor Michael, his team kicked him out. You can't do dentistry. You don't have the skills. So it's self-policing because guess what? If Michael's out there and he's messing, leaving root tips in place and he's messing people up, whose name is is uh, is blasphemy? It's their ministry, their church. Jesus. So there's no compromise on excellence. If there's any hint of lack of excellence, you got to stop. You got to cut it because it's 
it's going to be brutal to the whole effort. Hey, we, we're like five minutes over. <laughs> so will you pray for us? Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We thank you for each one of us. The Lord, even as we seek your face and your purposes to obey the Great Commission. I pray for all of us that, Lord, you'll continue to give us wisdom. Father, we pray that you will give us courage to be able to do new things that have never been done. Use us, Lord, even as we have seen in the past, to shape even government policy to come in line with your purposes in the name of Jesus. Through our example, through the fruit of the ministry, Lord, we have seen you change the minds of government people in Kenya and in Ghana, in Mali. Father, we pray for each one of us that we shall not be afraid. But Lord, help us to do everything well to the glory and the honor of your name. Father, the need is so big. You say in your word that, that we should pray that you shall send forth laborers. I pray that even through this conference, you shall send forth a new group of laborers into the nations in the name of Jesus. I pray that they will hear your call. I pray that we shall prepare well. And Lord, I pray that we shall go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.